TED Audio Collective. This is ZigZag, a podcast about changing the course of capitalism, journalism, and women's lives. So yeah, we're slightly ambitious. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. And man, if you had told me five years ago that any of us would pay a monthly subscription for an app that coached us on how to sit still to meditate every day, I would have thought you were nuts. I don't need an app to sit still, thank you very much. And yet those apps made $27 million in the first quarter of 2018 alone. And truth be told, I counted, and I actually have six meditation apps on my phone right now. And okay, so what if I told you that what tech has done for mindfulness, it might also be able to do for information overload? You know, so many tweets, newsletters, shows to watch, podcasts to listen to, articles to read. But what is the right amount? Can we be helped? So we think a lot about that, like, what's the health and fitness app for news? I mean, I want to have control over my sleep patterns, my exercise, my calorie intake. I think information fits in the same category. Mark Little left Twitter to join forces with former Facebook executive Anya Kerr. Both of us have spent a lot of time reflecting on the unintended consequences of platforms and thinking a lot about trust and what does it look like if we were to start again. Start again. Anya and Mark are building an app to help your brain manage all the information coming at it. Make sure that it's all trustworthy and useful to you. What does that even look like? Well, they've got some pretty cool ideas. And based on their past track record, they might just be the ones to crack this problem. It's episode 10 of our series on trust and information. It's ZigZag. Stick with us. So I want to start off with some good news. This show made it onto a couple of best podcasts of 2018 lists. Yay! It's pretty exciting and gratifying to see ZigZag on lists alongside some of the most amazing podcasts out there. Caliphate, Slow Burn, This Is Love, which is by our friends Phoebe and Lauren of Criminal. We'll link to these lists in our newsletter and in our show notes at zigzagpod.com. But meanwhile... Jen and I were talking about why we think people still give a crap about these best of lists. Best books, best apps, best bingeable Netflix series that'll still let you have a good night's sleep. These lists go on and on. And of course, they're totally subjective. But I think we love year-end lists because they focus us, right? As we swim in a sea of content, media, news, information, whatever you want to call it, It's getting harder and harder to prioritize. We are overwhelmed with all the options. So give me a good list so I know where to put my precious time and attention, please. Okay, so now imagine, what if you got your own best of list personalized to you every single morning? Sure, there are daily newsletters like The Skim, and actually my husband just started having The New York Times delivered to our door again. But newspapers and newsletters aren't tailored specifically to us, and they rely on a few people's perspective of what's important that day. 
Is it possible to be exposed to new points of view from vetted sources all in an amount of time that works for you, like the length of your bus ride? What if you could cross a wellness app with a news app? Would we feel better? Would we think better? That's what co-founders Anya Kerr and Mark Little want to find out with their new experimental company and app. Do you two mind doing the business, please? Cool. Uh, this is Anya Kerr, COO and co-founder of Kinzen. This is Mark Little, CEO and co-founder of Kinzen. Before Kinzen, Mark and Anya built another company together, Storyful, which they ended up selling to News Corp in 2013. Then they went their separate ways, Mark to Twitter, Anya to Facebook. All season long on ZigZag, you've been hearing why we can't rely on big tech for trustworthy news. Mark and Anya certainly recognize those problems, too, from the inside. And their Kinzen app, now in very early beta, is an attempt at a solution. Full disclosure, I know Mark from Washington way back in the 90s. He was the correspondent at the Irish broadcaster RTE. I was a producer in the BBC's news bureau there. Earlier this year, I met Anya at a conference for women in digital media. And when she told me that she and Mark had both returned to Dublin and were building a tech fix for information overload, I was intrigued. I've done a lot of research into that topic. Listeners of our old podcast, Note to Self, you may remember the Infomagical project. Anyway, it turned out that Mark and Anya were also partnering with Civil, that blockchain project that we're part of. Okay, so here's my point, though. Actually, I think I have three points. Bear with me. Number one, the world of journalism tech is very small. It needs to get bigger, but for now, it's pretty niche. Number two, Jen and I will explain what is up with Civil in our season finale. We don't want to leave you would-be token buyers hanging. And my third point, I don't know if this Kinzen app idea is going to work. Kind of like with Civil, but... We want ZigZag to be a place where we can experiment with solutions to big problems. And since Mark and Anya are creating Kinzen based on input they get from early adopters, we figured it would be cool to take you behind the scenes into their early thought process. Usually tech entrepreneurs like to work in stealth mode to keep the competition at bay. Not these two. As of now, their team of developers and designers aim to change people's news habits, and they want it to start very first thing every single day. When you're sitting down to have that whole wheat bagel in the morning and your cup of coffee and you say, I want to see news and information that looks like me, my life. Today I'm entering into a conversation at work and I want to be armed with the professional information I need. At the same time, I want to know if the subway's working, if it's on time. And I also want to know by the evening time when I come home, I want to be wound down. I want to know what I'm going to watch on Netflix tonight. So the first thing we want to do is return on your identity, make you feel like you see yourself in the newsfeed that you created. We're not looking to your friends and family to suggest things. We're not browsing history as not being stalked. Every stage in the process, whether you're giving reaction to a piece of a story you're seeing or whether you're setting your goals for the week, you're in charge. Anya, how do you decide? I mean, because you are the people behind the app and you are having to decide what the sources are, right, that you present to anyone who downloads the app. Who's deciding? Yeah, so we want this to be a place, uh, you know, that is about shared facts and trusted sources, that it's free of misinformation and manipulation. And 
We know there are a huge number of organisations world over, many of whom I've worked with, uh, especially during my time in Facebook, Trustmetrics, uh, NewsGuard, the, the Trust Project, uh, and many, many more, First Draft and others, who are asking these very questions and have done a lot of work already on, you know, building a source directory of trustworthy sources. But critically, we are building a community from the ground up and recruiting people who are curators, who care about discovering new sources, verifying them, sharing quality information with this network of members on Kinzen. So would that look like me being like, all right, there's a, I know there are a bunch of really good um, blogs or smaller media publications, um, and we'll take my location, Brooklyn, and that I would say, here's Manoush's guide to media about Brooklyn. Is that what it would be like? Yeah, the basic level, you, you pick the 20 sources. And let's say suddenly a friend of yours has set up a blog and it's about flower arranging. But you want to be able to basically say, this is something you should tune in. If you want to know the lifeblood and the civic heart of this community, I'm going to add this source. We're thinking more about the concept of playlists. If you digested your favorite sources at 7 a.m. every day and sent that to your friends in a very similar way to Spotify, you're actually taking that pulse of a community at a specific moment in time and sharing that curated playlist. So that's where we want to get to. Someone like you who might know the six-block radius of your home and all the people in it that are supplying information of benefit to the community and just slicing it off for your commute in the morning, in the evening. So we hope we're going to get to the point where we're rewarding authentic voices, not just recycling what the New York Times is saying, um, and it's a quality publication. It's very welcome and prominent in our source directory. But we're really trying to get to the very voice in the community that community is listening to. And that's, I suppose, the goal for us. I, I noticed, Mark, that you actually had a, a channel. or do Am I calling it right? Is it a channel? Yeah. So we think the parts of the, the sort of the app that we're looking to replicate, what people already know about is channels. They relate to the particular topic or location. And the addition is essentially your front page for the morning, the afternoon, the evening. And so they're the kind of building blocks of, of the app at the moment. So I, I subscribed to your channel, um, and I titled it Mark Little's Jam. And <laughs> I loved reading all the sources in this channel because you have a few that I know and love and others that I didn't know. And, you know, I I know your background. I mean, full disclosure here, you and I have known each other for <laughs> decades, and we have a very similar background. But, like, I can kind of see the progression of your career and some of maybe the places where you get your entrepreneurship news and you get your media news you know, you can't take the foreign correspondent out of you. Uh, there's news from the World Economic Forum. All your little parts of your personality are jam-packed in this channel. But I know you. So how do you begin to build that trust between all the other people using Kinzen, the people curating Kinzen, and very importantly, the people contributing the journalism who want to get paid? Yeah, the first answer to your question, like... My mind is a very complicated place after, you know, 35 years in journalism and entrepreneurship. <laughs> and I've worked for Jack Dorsey. I've worked for Rupert Murdoch. I've worked for myself. I work, so I have a lot of stuff going on here. So I want to turn to my friends and say, hey, guys, this is where I get those, like, weird and wonderful little stats about the world that change your mind. And that's the kind of spirit that I would love to inculcate, you know, through that kind of channel. In terms but of where Mark, we, you were at Twitter. Why didn't you say to them, like, why not make your Twitter list shareable and make it readable for people? 
let's just, <laughs> this is where I have to start like picking my words apart. Like in Twitter is a very small place, you know, everyone thinks when they look at the social platforms, these places are massive and all they think about every day is great deep thinking. Mostly they're trying to keep the thing alive and keep it going mm. and worrying about freedom of speech. So mm. it's really bureaucratic. And that's why I realized you would not start here if you were trying to reform social media, you would actually have to start again. And so for me, and in answer to your question about the people who need to get paid, what better way to build the kind of emotions you need to make somebody feel like they should pay for something than reward their attention with that moment of joy of discovery? As opposed to what journalism had to do for the last 10 years, which was to go on Facebook and try compete for those jolts of dopamine. So I think by allowing people to collect sources that are really giving them something that reward their identity, intention, attention. That's where you're going to get the future of people paying for quality journalism. Anya, you were at Facebook. You oversaw the team that built products, tools, services for journalists. What do you think what are you thinking when Mark is talking about the dopamine rush that Facebook is going for? Yeah, obviously they built a news feed that was around uh, reactions to uh, content in a very emotional way, angry, happy, sad. And I think a lot of, um, you know, Facebook's direction initially was to create a place for friends and family. And I think they've obviously had to stand back now and reflect on some of the unintended consequences of how the news feed was originally intended and how it has grown over the years. I don't think Mark Zuckerberg and team ever set out to become one of the world's biggest distributors of uh, news and information and content and therefore never imagined that this would be a place because of those reactions and the sheer emotions around it that it would become a place to sow hate speech and to try and manipulate those emotions by spewing the entire platform with uh, manipulative propaganda and just bad actors taking advantage and unfortunately I think for a place like Facebook which was very well intentioned and there are very good people working there but they're unfortunately stuck in this loop of being incredibly reactive because there's so many fires burning now on so many fronts and I I hope for former Facebook um, colleagues that they can get to a place where they can be more proactive about some of the issues of the day. Okay, when we come back, more with Mark and Anya and Kinzen and creating a place where maybe you could respond to what you read with more than just a smiley emoji or sad emoji. How about a confused but intrigued emoji face? Anyone? (laughs) Maybe. We'll be back in a sec. So as I mentioned, Kinzen isn't the first company that Mark Little and Anya Kerr have worked on together. Nearly a decade ago, Mark founded Storyful, a wire service that picks up stories on social media, makes sure that they're true, and then writes them up to share with clients like The New York Times, ABC News, ITN. Anya Kerr was Storyful's managing editor. And after Mark and Anya left, Thalia Beatty, our new producer, actually worked at Storyful. Her job was verifying video footage on social media from places in the Middle East, including areas decimated by war in Syria. 
Mark and Anya have been observing how this whole blockchain for journalism experiment has been going for those of us in the so-called first fleet of newsrooms for civil. How we're trying to build our audiences, help each other grow bigger, find ways to pay for our journalism, including that failed crypto launch that some of you may ruefully remember. So meanwhile, Mark and Anya have been building their app and incorporating some of the lessons we've all learned. So, I mean, for example, we're really inspired by Block Look Chicago, by what you're doing at ZigZag, by Colorado Sun, looking at these new independent publishers that are trialing with concepts of membership. We're huge fans of Correspondent as well. Mm. And they're the people, I think, are the way of the future. Membership-based premium publishers who are giving people back a sense of membership of a community. And we hope will be the preferred news experience for that new constellation of quality journalism that is emerging in slightly different ways than traditional publishing. Will you be launching a cryptocurrency? <laughs> it's funny right now. Is that a joke anymore? No. I don't even know. <laughs> like I've, I've been listening <laughs> to ZigZag and we're, you know, go through with you the sort of the travails of the ups and downs of trying to even, first of all, get yourself acquainted with the ideas. Like the funny thing is, again, I was just joking earlier on saying like, this is a theory that works in practice, but not in theory. We're essentially going to be, you know, working with our community to design the incentives that make sense to them, not just to oh, us. Oh, so you're designing it as you go, as opposed to saying we will launch a token curated registry and it it will work like this. And which we is have what learned trying to do it civil. Right. <laughs> yes, well, tell we us learned, what you like, learned. <laughs> well, 44 steps to get to feeling <laughs> membership of the community is probably not right. Way to go. But that's no. the great thing about startups. I mean, I never learned anything from success. I've only learned from my failures. And I have to say, I've been involved with the civil project to some extent as an observer, but then as a participant since like you know, almost a year now. Uh, and I, you know, I feel probably more committed than ever to the concepts of the token as an incentive for community. Really? Like, like a, with the cryptocurrency? No, I mean, take up the idea of the token, the idea of I want some tangible sense of I'm part of something. That's the concept that I feel committed to. Now, how that ends up being expressed, right now we have, you know, civil token clearly did not work the way it was designed. We have time. You know, I mean, I don't think tomorrow morning we have to depend for that token for our revenues. We certainly don't have to depend on it for our fundraising. So we have a bit of time and we're going to be working with the kind of good people that have magnetically been attracted to the vision of people like Matthew and, and the folks in Vivian at Civil and also at Consensus. So, you know, it's uh, a work in progress that I'm very par- proud that we're part of. Can you guys lay out sort of the money piece of this? Who are your backers and where is the money coming from for you to build this beta product? Yeah, so right now there's a little bit of a dividend from Storyful in the form of the seed investment that I could uh, put forward because of the success of the sale of Storyful. And then with that, we have a couple of small private investors here in Ireland with the help of a grant from the Digital News Initiative, which is the Google-sponsored initiative in Europe that helps create monetization projects for publishers. And then also we've received a grant, uh, received investment as well from Civil itself. So that's given us a seed fund that gets us onto the runway that we're about to launch and gets us in for the next six to eight months. Uh, all, the way, all the way through that, we would love as much as possible to stay out of the traditional venture capital world. And that's no disrespect to venture capitalists. They have their no, role and it. perhaps we will find the right uh, partnership at some point. But we kind of want to avoid that clock ticking that you get when you take a large amount of private VC money, which I think has kind of derailed a lot of really great media experiments with 
good intentions who just found themselves under pressure to generate traffic to meet the expectations mm. of people with big, deep pockets. And so how do you generate re- revenue then? Will I pay $5 a month or something? Or what? where will the revenue come from? Yeah, we're thinking $5 a month for this personal news service. And those who have been joining us this past month as first members, and people can still join up as first members, and those who are coming on board now to help test the app in beta form, those who are coming in as curators, so back to helping us build that community, um, are going to get the first six months free um, access to the app once we launch in January. Do you guys feel like, I mean, right now, when this episode goes out, we will be in the midst of Radiotopia, which is our network of podcasts that we're part of. They're doing a membership drive. The Correspondent, which is a new sort of collective newsroom that's uh, go, go, doing its fundraising for the first time in the United States right now. Uh, you guys are going to be out there uh, saying, join Kinzen. Civil was doing its thing. Join Civil. We're, people are hitting paywall after paywall after paywall when they go looking for news these days. At what point is there going to be fatigue and people are like, oh, my God, please don't ask me for more of my um, I'm already a member of like it's going to be like passwords after a while. There's just going to be too many of them. Yeah. Listen, I completely get that. And I, and I look at people I know who almost in tears telling me how much money they don't even know they're spending every month and all these different subscriptions. And if you watch the behavior of like younger people who've just started to realize that Netflix and Spotify quality content costs money, they're way more you know willing and able to pay for news. But I do think you're right. There is a limit. Now, my sense of it is journalism will become two things. It will become a public utility where we will have to have some shared facts that are free to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And it may well be that a majority of information is free and open to the world, but there will be this 20% of journalism as a personal service in your life Mm -hmm. where it becomes you're paying for either the user experience, for specific knowledge about your profession or your location. So I think what will happen is it'll be that 20%, that famous old Pareto principle, right? We'll only pay for a small amount of the information which will fund the provision of other public information. So in many ways, like the Baghdad Bureau never made money for the New York Times, right? Right. It was the crossword. It was the recipe section. In all honesty, I think the road um, to the future of journalism is partly about this personal service, but there has to be a core public utility that's shared. And where we have in Europe public service broadcasters like the BBC Mm. who used to work for Manoush, Mm. I mean, they show less polarization in their societies where there are people together who have a set of shared facts from one organization. And then when they want to go to the right or the left, they've got choices but there's a place to gather. Like, we don't argue about, you know, liberal or conservative views of the rain falling. There are a bunch of facts that we should share, and I believe we're definitely going to be part of that. And there's going to be that part you will pay for that hopefully will subsidize the rest. You know, I feel like I missed a step. And in, in when I, at my old show, Note to Self, Jen and I um, did an interactive engagement project with our listeners called Info Magical which was a super silly term for basically a week-long boot camp helping people manage their information overload because I was certainly feeling, um, you know, I'm extremely greedy for information. I want to read everything. But I really was having that moment where I'd be sitting 
at the end of the day, lying on the floor, still scrolling, not taking in anything anymore and thinking, why Why do I think I can put more into my brain when obviously I'm an exhausted? And I really got into like the neuro- neuroscience behind how we take in information, how we process it, what are some ways that we can improve our memory around it and all of those things. But I really focused on information overload. What I did not focus on was facts and digital literacy and understanding sources and kind of all the things you were doing at Storyful. And I felt like when the 2016 election happened, just like like 11 months later, I was like, oh, man, we missed, we had a blind spot. We thought that people knew what basic good quality information was. They were just taking in too much of it. But I, I, I underestimated what a problem that was, too. Media literacy. Yeah, in the long term, it's education. Education is the thing that empowers all of us from a very early age. And um, Stony Brook University, the News Literacy Project and others will contend that it's kids at the age of 12 that that's when you need to inoculate them against uh, false news. And you give them Mm. critical thinking skills. Like we are never, unfortunately, I hate to admit this, false news is a part of our world. It's been a part of our world for decades. This is just, unfortunately, how the human condition works in terms of rumours and spreading falsehoods. So instead, if we're to give people the skills to ask the who, what, where, when, how, why, uh, to be curious, to seek out other sources, to ask questions, to validate their questions and assumptions with their friends and family, that's where it does need to come back to in terms of a long-term investment now through our education systems, using our librarians. There are more libraries in the United States than there are Starbucks, would you believe? Librarians are crying out. (laughs) But they are crying out to be part Part of this solution. That they are true. embedded in our communities world over. Anya talked about the idea of people becoming conscious, aware and literate. The problem is once you go out there to try be the positive behavior you want to see in the networks, there's no tools at your disposal, right? So if you go to a piece of content, you get to clap, you get to like, you get to put your thumbs up. So I think we need to give people in the way they feed back to the machine learning the ability to be more sophisticated, to be you know, expressing that emotion they feel when they've seen something new, when they're calling out bullshit, or when they're just trying to be positive in their behavior on social platforms. What if I could actually be a bit more sophisticated in my feedback to the machine and tell it that I found this to be a challenging, inspiring, motivational article? But what does that look like? Are you designing a new set of emojis, like more nuanced, like thoughtful, actionable article face? Yes. <laughs> I think the emoticon happy. is probably a, an avenue that we're not going to go down. Having said that. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> well, we're looking at the idea that what about a self-described taxonomy, right? So let's say you came in and we asked you to give us the top five emotions or or words that would describe a positive outcome for you. Now, it may just be that's informative or that's inspiring. Now, we asked, a, we did a market research question about this. We got back amazing response. One woman came back to us and just expressed it in like three-letter words. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's something we're going to be experimenting with. Is there a huh. way to give people subjective words that express a productive outcome? And that gets us to this whole health and fitness app idea. If I'm continually improving the content in my feed by giving sophisticated feedback, then we're starting to get somewhere. And and that's the machine learning array that we're working on, which is completely different 
to the kind of machine learning that's tracking your unconscious history or sitting on your shoulder, watching what you're visiting on the website, uh, and giving you completely shallow metrics to respond to articles that may be important to you. And that's, I think, what gets me excited is to see machine learning adopted for human purpose and empowerment. That, I think, is something that I could spend years working on. Yes, and you will, it sounds like. (laughs) Definitely. This is long-term. To be fair, I mean, Twitter says that they're working on finding ways of quantifying healthy conversation. I'm dying to learn more about that. What is your sense of where this field is going? And, And are these things quantifiable? That's what I sometimes wonder. Yeah, my feeling is that we've focused too much, I think, on the supply of misinformation and fact-checking. Now, they are table sticks. We've got to be worried about that. I think we should be worrying more about the incentives that allow the spread of misinformation. So the most recent step I've seen from Jack Dorsey and Twitter, which I think is something that is close to his heart, is, you know, making the follower account less prominent. So, you know, let's not try and make getting more followers the incentive we show people when they come onto a platform. Let's try and encourage people to be slightly mindful before they share. Let's give some friction to misinformation. Let's promote the other sources that we know can fight back. So I think there's a lot that the social platforms can do. My only problem is I don't believe systems funded by programmatic advertising, which really only recognizes the need for emotions and shallow ones at that, is ever going to be reformed to the extent that it can be the platform that we want and we need in this moment. Um, So I'm not saying, and I think as Anya says earlier on, I agree We shouldn't damn everybody who is working at platforms. They're working really hard. I just think it's much easier to just start again and take a fundamental reevaluation of the machine learning, the ad incentives, and also the incentives that we show users of the platforms to denote success. It's not about follower count or claps or retweets. It's about what people feel about the the, the behavior we're showing in the platforms. And I don't feel that the platforms as they currently exist can be reformed to that extent. And just to add to that, like I think as long as platforms and news organisations are so reliant on an advertiser model, and we absolutely understand why that is, your metrics are going to be to keep people on your platforms and websites for as long as possible to consume more advertising. And therefore, the type of content you're going to sometimes serve up is with that in mind. We have the luxury of having you know, started again, not being reliant on advertisers, not having to have their agenda and to actually be really thoughtful about what does time well spent mean? Like a lot of people have reflected on this year. And so for us, time well spent, maybe that you're only coming in for 15 minutes in your day to have an experience as opposed to that mindless, endless scroll we're all time sometimes guilty of that can go on for hours while you're lying on your back at the end of a long day. <laughs> can you, I don't know, I'm getting pretty excited about maybe testing this But meanwhile, can you give the final, like, if people do want to check out what you're doing or maybe even be a beta tester or whatever other ways that they can sort of contribute to the building of Kinzen, can you just tell people what they should do? Yeah, please. So, yeah, we want to build this from the ground up with a community of curators and testers. So you can go to www.kinzen.com. Um, it'll take you mere seconds uh, to enter your details, get signed up as a tester and curator and help us build something that we believe is going to have real impact in the world come next year. Okay, so will you come back and can we check in? We'll just keep knocking at the door until... <laughs> right, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to Next time that. in Thank person. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Manoush, thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Mark and Anya would love your input to build Kinzen. And if you decide to give it a try, please let us know. Is this a project worth following? Do you think it's worth getting more involved in? Because, as you know, Jen and I are all about experimenting together to find good solutions to some of our big problems. And I got to say, there are a handful of very good digital reading tools out there. Pocket, Flipboard, Kindle is a good thing, too. But I do think the next wave of products will be built to deliver a better news consumption experience. Get information better. I have been seeing ads for smart news wherever I go. Have any of you tried that? I'm curious about that, too. Our email is zigzag at stableg.com. Record a voice memo. Write a letter. Whatever you want to do. We love hearing from you. I'm going to end with a riddle for you. There's only one week of ZigZag Season 2 left. And yet, we have two episodes for you. How is that possible? How will we achieve this? Well, there's going to be a double drop next week to get you through the holidays. Two episodes. One episode about what Jen and I have learned about entrepreneurship over this season. The big debate that we're having about where we go from here and what we've decided to do. And what has happened to Civil for those of you who are interested. The other episode is a wonderful interview, if I do say so myself, with Rufus Pollack. He is the author of The Open Revolution. This is a big picture look at the role of information in forming societies, how we've screwed it up, but we can make it better. I wanted to leave this one for the end of the year because it is so beautifully philosophical. Rufus will get you thinking about all kinds of things, like how you think, what your goals are. Perfect for the new year. For now, this was episode 10 of season two of ZigZag. It was produced by me and Jen Poyant and Thalia Beatty. David Herman and Dan DeZula are our audio engineers and composers. ZigZag comes from Stable Genius Productions in partnership with Civil. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. And you should definitely go check out the amazing data artwork that we have this season by Accurat. Go to zigzagpod.com. You can scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter while you're there, too. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and thank you so much for listening. Yada, yada, yada. I can't say anymore. I'm too tired. Bye.